Hello and welcome to All Villa No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. But even the world's best side can go out of the FA Cup in the third round. Villa lost 1-0 at Old Trafford in a game that featured VAR controversy. Today I'm joined by Paul Webb from the Aston Villa London Lions, an official supporters group for Villa fans living in London. I started out by asking Paul what his overriding feelings were on Monday's game. I was really pleased with the starting eleven. I was this obviously our first cup game under Gerard and and no idea if he was going to rest quite a few players. We brought back a lot of loanies in the last week or so, so it sort of could have been a very understrength side. So I was really pleased to see him go after it. And for us to win a trophy would be absolutely huge. And I think Gerard realised that. Mm. So I thought we went for it, went on, on the front foot. And, but it was a frustrating game. I think the commentary during the game really summed it up. It's that we were behind quite early on. But we were the better team for about 70 minutes of the game. Mm. Um, but we just didn't do enough, really. Um, and that's what Gerard said in his interview. I think we probably uh, should have got a goal. Uh, yeah. so we probably can talk about the actual goal disallowed. But we got in enough positions to create better chances. And I think the only thing that I'd be a little bit critical of in the last couple of games, so I think Brentford and Chelsea is trying to overplay in that yeah. last third. And I felt that exact same thing happened again. We got in so many promising positions, but we never really worked a hair enough from those positions. So overall frustrating, as it seems to always be against Man United. Obviously, this season in the league was slightly different at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a frustrating night, but there were positives to take from the game, I felt. Yeah, I think you're right. It, there were, it was quite reminiscent of the Brentford game, the way we were large, in control for large patches of the game. And you thought, surely Villa are walking out of this as winners. And uh, it seems to have been a bit of a problem actually for quite a while now where we've um, dominated games and just not been had that killer instinct, um, which you hope under yeah. Gerard might develop a bit more. Um, but, you know, we have to talk about the most controversial moment in the game. There were a fair few controversial moments, including Luke Shaw somehow... Uh, doing performing 10 yellow card offences and not getting booked uh, until yeah. quite late on. Um, yeah. But uh, the highlight, of course, was the VAR decision, which disallowed Danny Ings's goal. Um, it was for a Jacob Ramsey offside interfering with player and Edison Cavani. Um, you know, uh, what did you make of that VAR call? So I think when you look back at it, Gerard had, I sort of had the same reaction as Gerard as in a muted celebration. Yeah. Because it, it looked like a foul, so it, it very much clear. Cavani went down dramatically, you could say, but it looked like there'd been a quite a clear block by Ramsey, and um, and that's how it prevailed. The biggest issue that we've all got is how it took so long to get to that decision. So it felt like VAR was trying to find a reason not to give the goal. Yeah, uh, and I have no idea what the protocol is if they have to do it in a certain order, but. If yeah, obviously the rules has come out that if Ramsey was offside, which he was when the ball was kicked and he's deemed interfering, why that wasn't the first thing they looked at, yeah, and why they but that's where the frustration came in. I have to be honest, it's, it should have been disallowed. It's he's offside, and it's I think the argument they were trying to make in the studio is Cavani could have got round him, but for me as a defender. It's not his prerogative to get round an attacker who's standing still, let alone in an offside position. So yeah. it was a foul. 
it was just the biggest frustration was why does that take three and a half minutes? And yeah. I think Gerard alluded to it in one of his postman's interviews is we were really on top at that phase of play. Yeah. And we, you can get over a goal being disallowed if it's quite instant. Like the other one that we had disallowed later in the game, it was a clear offside, took what, 10 seconds, boom, we're straight back into the game. But that three and a half minute just really just stopped the flow and allowed Man United to go and get drinks on the side, have a chat yeah. with any of the coaches. And I think that's where the frustration comes in, not with the actual decision, just why it took so long to get there. Yeah, exactly. I think there's always the impression, as I mean, it's this ongoing theory amongst all fans that Man United <laughs> have always had decisions go their way over the years. And, yeah. you know, um, you know I'm not, we're not going to get into that sort of thing, but it's, uh, you know, I guess it just plays into that, doesn't it? The fact it took so long, the three and a half minutes. It was just, and as you say, it did feel like the momentum slightly went kind of after that. Yeah. Or quite quickly went after that. Um, but, you know, um, what did you make of, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that there were some positives in the display. Yeah. Um, what did what stuck out for you as a, as a positive from Villa's performance? So I really think Ramsey, I just love the kid. I think oh, you know that. I was a bit um, unsure about him. I felt last season when he came in, he didn't really look like he was able to have much of an impact in a game. He was neat and tidy, mm. um, but without really any killer instinct. He was just somebody that was, like, he wanted to do well because he'd come through the system. Whereas I think this season, certainly from that Norwich game onwards, that goal he scored at Norwich was superb. And then I felt he's been almost our best player in every game. I'd say he's been our player of the season so far yeah. this season. Probably Matty Cash runs in close. But Jacob Ramsey is just growing and growing and growing. And yeah. to see him get an early card yesterday and then have the maturity to get through the majority of the rest of the game, not make any stupid challenges and still be influential on the ball. Mm. I really he's, I really hope that with Coutinho coming, it doesn't affect his development because um, he just needs to keep... He's almost ahead of the likes of Dougie Louise and people like that in terms of their first name on the team sheet. So I thought he had another really impressive game. And also for me, Ollie Watkins as well. I just these are the two players that I think uh, the future of Villa should be built around. And I know he missed, made a big chance last night, but missed it. And he's, yeah. sometimes he's not as clinical as he we would like him to be. And sometimes I do feel like he needs to be quicker when he's on the ball in terms of how he distributes it and releases the ball. I agree. But again, there's just so much potential that you can see through these two young players that if we can just build around those, then we're going to have a good. Future, but yeah. So the biggest positive for me was another standout performance on Ramsey. I felt. Yeah, I completely agree. And what a season it's been for him. You know, uh, I think uh, I went to see the Newcastle game earlier this season where we won two 0 with Danny Ings' bicycle kick. And I remember being in the stadium. One of the things that really struck me was it was the first time I've been able to see Jacob Ramsey live, and yeah. uh, him taking the ball on the half turn, always looking to progress and attack. He just looked like so, like somebody that when the type of midfielder that I would play with when I was younger, and always felt like they were. Just very intelligent, very game aware. Yeah. Um, and to see him, he always felt then that if he can get a goal or an assist, we might see him grow in confidence. And what can he become then? He got that goal against Arsenal and he's got another one since with the Norwich goal, which was great. And the Leicester goal that was ruled out as well. So I totally agree. It's really exciting to see and his, his interplay as well. Like at Man United yesterday, looked really good at times. So, you know, considering his age, God, I mean, what he could be like in a couple of years is really exciting. Um, yeah. But... And the same with Ollie Watkins. Those rumours about Arsenal do slightly, me, slightly have me worried, um, you know, especially if they get in the Champions League. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, we had a lot of possession again. Um, we mentioned this just slightly earlier, but um, 
What do you think it is? Why, why are we not taking our chances? Is, is it the Ings-Watkins things maybe is not quite working? Yeah, and I think when, obviously with Coutinho coming in, you've got to find he's going to start eventually. So you've got to think yeah. about who's going to drop out. And Ings is that man for me personally. I agree. Um, I also think that was one of the main reasons that Smith had to lose his job in the end and he was trying to force players into a formation. Mm. Uh, and I, I just don't see how you get the best out of Watkins withings on the pitch um, agreed yeah so I think that and you've got to look to the future there's nothing wrong with Ings being on the bench and coming on if it's not working he's a fantastic striker if he comes on and scores and he earns the right to start what a great problem to have but you don't always have to start them mm. that said when you look back at the Brentford goal fantastic little play by Wendy through ball to Ings first time finish so he has got that that skill but I just feel like I don't know if they're trying to make the same runs, but they're just they're not enough space being created at the yeah. top of the field. So when Deer likes to have lots of players around him, and um, one of the things I would, I don't know if it's a criticism because I like that he's gutsy enough to always try. He's always trying to make the killer pass, mm. uh, and sometimes, especially against Chelsea, he's almost trying to thread the needle through three Chelsea defenders when there are easier options to maybe just take the sidewards pass or out wide or something like that. So. It's, it's courageous that they always want to try and make that killer pass, but I think there's a little bit of um, almost like they're panicked, like they're getting to that final third and they feel like they've got to get in front of goal and get a clean cut chance as soon as possible. Yeah. Whereas I think they could be a little bit more methodical when they're up there. And I just think if you take Ings out of the star line, they're not trying to be too critical of Ings, but if you just have Watkins up there on loan, he makes so many runs that it would allow a midfielder to run in behind him, whereas Ings and Watkins almost trying to do the same thing. So for me, how that changes is you get Ings out of the team and you stick with Watkins up front and you just give him that lead striker role. Yeah, agreed. I think considering we had Watkins in the summer, the Ings signing, exciting as it was at the time, it's it was kind of confusing at the time because it was like, well, how's it yeah. going to shape up alongside of Watkins? Because Watkins feels like a very modern forward, doesn't he? he puts so much pressure on the opposition and... Yeah. Um, he just, you know, if I was to think, who would a Champions League team, you know, be looking at if there was, if they were looking at Villa players, I'd say Watkins would be one of them. But you know, we do have Manchester United on Saturday, so we don't have long to wait until we play them. But we have not beaten them since 1995 at Villa Park in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, lots of disappointment along the way. I was at the game where we beat them three-one, first game of the yeah, season. I was there. I was were you there, there as well? Yeah. I had my season ticket was in the Doug Ellis, but it was being rebuilt at the time. So I had to re reallocate to the whole tent. So it was a fantastic right. day. Yeah, I was in the Trinity Road standing amazingly. All, yeah. A load of my family were over from Ireland. So, you know, it's quite a rare treat for them to get to a Villa game. And the one game they get to is so it's so memorable. And it's also like, you know, David Beckham scored in that game. I think it was his first United game as well. So Yeah, certainly his first goal, which is mad when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, never with anything with kids match. Um, but, you know, it's been 27 years of hurt. Um, <laughs> can we finally end it on Saturday, do you think? So if you did, it's, it's impossible to look at this fixture without having that backstory as a Villa fan. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just, like, the FA Cup games where they've been 2-0 up and it's free. Two, there's just so much pain in this fixture that it's hard just to look at it as a one-off game. But... If you just look at it at the game, right now, Man United are not firing on all singles. They're, uh, they're there to be beaten. They're probably the poorest Man United team with being similar ages that we can remember in our lifetime. Yeah, so absolutely. they are there to yeah. be beaten. I think 
I think it was uh, Dion Dublin said in the commentary last night that there's nothing that Villa should fear going into this game. On so if anything, coming out of this game, even though we lost, we've probably gained more confidence, yeah. which I don't disagree with it to, to an extent. So I'll never be able to predict us to beat Man United, though, because <laughs> of that history. It just always seems to go wrong. I'm pretty certain we'll be winning at some point <laughs> in the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. VAR will get involved and they will probably have like, score in the 93rd minute because I'm just expecting pain from this fixture. But <laughs> yeah. the, the, the truth is, they're not that much better than us. Like, no, not at all. It, so I think we can definitely go. I just hope, and under Gerard in all these games, we've gone for it. So they are there to be attacked. Mm. Uh, and if we go at the front foot and just, you know, do that sort of pressing, which Ollie Watkins to do, they will struggle with the ball yeah. at the back. And we'll, we'll, I know we'll create chances. So, and there's often, obviously a little magician to come onto the pitch at some point. It will have a little impact somewhere. So I, I'll go a 2-1 victory. Yeah. However, I, it's with so much other things going on in my head, which I'm not fully committing to it just at this moment in time. But we'll say 2-1 to the Villa. Yeah, I uh, I I played them on. So this this sounds incredibly lame, but I played them on FIFA uh, at Old Trafford and lost one um, nil, and then I played them at Villa Park and won three two. So I'm I'm gonna I've somehow previ- previously lost to Brentford two one on FIFA as well. So I'm like yeah. maybe it's telling me something. Um, yeah, maybe your FIFA skills perhaps. But yeah, I mean, yeah. if you were betting betting person, the both teams to score bet seemed a shoe in because absolutely one of the things one of the things last night was I felt it was a really uncharacteristic goal that we conceded from across. I think yes. we've been brilliant. Like Mings, we won't go into it. But I think he's been brilliant this season. I, I agree. Yeah. agree with that. But in the air, he's been like just a colossus. He's changed his area when he's defending corners so just not a sort of like zonal mark in the edge of that six yard box and he's winning everything so to see him get like just I don't know where he went and miss out on the air that was very strange but we did we have got a few mistakes in us at the back there's no doubt about that targeting cash can be got at yeah. so I would say both teams to score is the sensible bet in this game yeah I agree um, I'm gonna say three two Villa I think we're, I can't yeah. believe I'm predicting to be Man United I'm, I can't believe I'm going <laughs> showing optimism on it um, but actually, a player you did just mention there, um, well, Mings and Target, um, you know, Mings, I felt we did, you know, we really noticed how much we missed him against Brentford. I thought there was a gla- mm. lack of character in defence in that game. Um, but then uh, left back last night, Matty Target, you know, first half, he looked like he really struggled at Old Trafford. And, um, you yeah. know, there's been lots of rumours about Luca Dean coming in. Um, what are your thoughts on Target at the moment? I think he's always been a player that has seemingly been affected with, uh, what's been discussed and what's been going on around since like the, the crowd effect. I don't think it's a coincidence that he had his best season when there was no crowds in. Yeah. Uh, so there was no one getting on his back. I do think the fans at times treat him as a little bit of a scapegoat. I don't I agree. Think yeah. He, I think talk of he was a disaster. He, he was absolutely useless. He's not that bad at all. He's about, he's, he's about to say six out of 10 player every week. Sometimes you could go up to a seven or eight. Sometimes, yeah. probably like last night, it can drop to a four or five. He, he, he wasn't at his best last night. I, I clearly think, you know, he would have seen these rumours. Steven Darrow has not really helped uh, with his post-match comment or his pre-match, whatever, where we're at. And he sort of said, there's no smoke without fire. He keeps saying, I refuse yeah. to talk about players, but there's no smoke without fire. That's as big as admission is we're looking for a left-back. And Target's going to hear that sort of thing. So I yeah. felt like it was a man who knows that He's no longer going to be the first choice left back. Um, yeah. 
Well, I would, hopefully, you know, if we bring in Dean now, I think that'd be a good signing um, and he will start if he brings him in. Hopefully that will just spur Target on to improve it. But I think realistically, I can see him leaving in, in the summer. Uh, but last night, I did feel like he was a, a bit of a weak link and you've got to assume he's going to start again on Saturday and therefore uh, the, the likes of Ronaldo may be starting. So the, Man United will certainly be targeting Target uh, as, a, as a weak link in the Villa side at the moment. All Villa, no filler. On Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome back, everybody. Now it's time for this. I'm throwing some new flavours into this show to turn the heat up to scorching hot in this The Spicy Question. It's here where we cover the controversial topics and get the creative juices flowing. Today, Paul, I'm asking you all about our new manager, Stephen Gerrard. Some call him Stevie G. I have already knighted him as Sir Stephen. What have you made of Gerrard's start to his managerial career at Aston Villa? I certainly don't think he's warranted a knighthood just yet. <laughs> but no, I've done the whole tenure. I was underwhelmed at the time that we appointed him simply because I think I was still mourning the loss of Smith. Like, I think it was mm. the right time for Smith to go, but I was very much in the camp of loved the guy, liked what he did, didn't want him to go. But now time's passed, and actually, I think we are improving under mm. a new style of play. So I think. Overall, we've got to be really, really pleased with what Gerard's done in a, in a relatively small uh, amount of time. And not only has it been a small amount of time, but it's been, obviously, we don't know exactly how the COVID has affected what he's been able to do at the club. But he was going to miss two games. It only became one because of a, a postponement. So he hasn't had a great deal of time with the players. But yet, the biggest um, improvement I've seen is how... They've already adapted their style. And like the key players, like the leaders within the squad, your uh, Mings, your McGinn's, Martinez, just seem really fired up, a lot more fired up than they were under Smith. And they seem to have bought in to this mentality that if they understand what where Gerard's coming from, a player that they all would have known as a winner, a true leader, that they can win silverware a bit, they can improve. And there just seems to be a genuine belief uh, and more fire amongst the, the Villa team and that might just be a new manager bump who knows but I've been really impressed uh, with Gerard. you know there's been I say there's only been one bad uh, result and that's the Brentford game yeah you know I say the other games that he's lost the uh, Chelsea's Liverpool's um, and I, he sort of alluded to it last night he's saying we almost expect to lose this game I think last night he said nearly is not good enough and I think that's a great attitude that Villa need to really try and embed into the club. I think for too long, we've accepted that mid-table is probably the benchmark or the, the glass ceiling for us. Yeah, completely. And I don't think we can get into the Champions League or anything daft like that, certainly not in the next three or four years. But there's no reason why we can't emulate uh, what West Ham have done. Yeah. Uh, they've had a great season, got knocked down in the fourth final of the League Cup, still in the FA Cup, doing well in Europe. There's absolutely no reason why we can't compete in the Europa League if we get it right. And I think Gerard knows that. So I, I, I'm more confident of us getting into the Europa League under Gerard than I was under Smith. So I think overall, 
he's done really well, but I do think we're now about to find out exactly what he's made of. So that honeymoon period sort of finished abruptly with a Brentford loss. Yeah. He's going to be judged a lot more um, closely now going forward. Um, but, um, you know, he's, he's warm. I wasn't that warmed to him when we first appointed him, but now I'm fully behind what he's trying to do and where the, the you know, where we're looking to move forward and he seems to be taking us in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I think when he took when he took over, I was just like you. I was kind of a bit just um yeah, it was it's a big name, but I wasn't sort of overly excited. And I think just like you as well, it was losing Smith was a it was a quite a, quite an emotional thing for Villa fans yeah. to deal with. You know, it's not <laughs> It's not very often you get, you know, a fan as a manager um, and somebody who'd got us up into the Premier League as well. Um, but I think you're right with Gerard. We, we immediately looked a bit harder to break down through the middle. Um, so teams yeah. now target us out wide. Uh, so that might be, so the wide areas might be somewhere we need to improve on as we go forward. But also, uh, I don't know, he, there is a... There is a gravitas to him, um, and you can probably see that in the fact that Coutinho has joined Villa. Now, there's, it's yeah. probably questionable as to whether Coutinho would have ever, would have considered Aston Villa unless Gerard, an old teammate of his, was actually there. Um, what do you make of the Coutinho signing? Well, I think you, it has to have got a lot to do with Gerard being at the club, but you can't not be excited by it. This is... I know he's not had the greatest of times over Barcelona. And he did well when he went out at Bayern Munich. But this is a man that was tearing up the Premier League a few years ago. Went for 140 odd million. He hasn't left Liverpool to Barcelona for 140 million because he was average. This guy was sensational. He was the player. So mm. for him to be at Villa is just incredible. Like I, I just it sort of doesn't feel real. It was like there should be obviously in the last half an hour or so the pictures have come out with him in the shirt. So like, it actually now feels like it's genuine. You can't not be excited by signing Coutinho. He may not have been brilliant at Barcelona, but if he, I think it was uh, on one of the radio shows, Simon Jordan, the ex Palace um, chairman, said if we get seventy percent of what he did at Liverpool, he's going to be unbelievable. And mm. um, so I'm really excited about it. There's huge question marks as to where he fits into the team and stuff like that. But it's another real big indication from our owners that they mean business, that they know yeah. what their plan is, they know what the process is. This We've already got a waiting list on season tickets. If we didn't, that sort of signing is going to sell seats regardless. So that's almost yeah. guaranteed to be a sellout at Villa Park now for the rest of the season. That's bringing in money. It's bringing in sponsorships. From a business point of view, it's just a fantastic signing and it's an exciting one on the pitch. So I don't see really hardly any negatives in it at all. Yeah, um, completely. It's it's, it's a sort of high-profile signing that Aston Villa haven't really made. I mean, it's, it's difficult to think of any era I can imagine a player like Coutinho joining Villa. Um, and this is the first time, as you know, you mentioned the excitement. Of it feels like we're progressing as a club. It's the first time really since the Randy Lerner era, the Martin O'Neill year, early Martin O'Neill years, um, that there's been this sort of level of optimism. Um, it's just breaking through the ceiling that Martin O'Neill couldn't do. And hopefully our yeah. owners don't emulate Randy Lerner and uh, <laughs> give up. I think I've still got... Um, you know, I'm still living off that kind of fear that one day that'll happen again, but hopefully not. Um, so, yeah, but a player actually that's been uh, linked away from us actually tonight, uh, just as we speak, is Anwar El Ghazi. Um, yeah. £15 million Aston are reportedly looking for as Everton are interested. Uh, what would be your thoughts if Anwar El Ghazi was to leave for Everton? Um, I think it'd be a good move for him. 
Uh, 50, I don't think we'd get 15 million, but if we could, it is a good little bit of a deal. He's, uh, I've, I like the guy, but I think it's evidence that Stephen Gerrard is not in his plan. I thought that was very, in fact, that was a bit strange actually against Brentford that Chiore started um, first time in ages with him being injured. Trezeguet coming back from injury both came on and then came on ahead of him. These are two guys that are now at the African Cup of Nations. So at Brentford, where he knew that both of those players were unavailable for a month, six weeks, however long it may be, and yet Al Ghazi still didn't feature. Yet you, the mind tells you that over the next few weeks, if he's in the club, we're going to need him. So quite clearly, I felt coming away from Brentford, it was clear that Al Ghazi is not in Gerrard's thinking. If that's the case, you have got to move on. I think he's been a very uh, solid player for yeah. Villa. Obviously, scored some really crucial goals. Um, but he's very much a winger that will go missing at yeah. times, shoot far too often when a, a better pass is on. But he has given us some moments of brilliance. So I think you can look back on assuming, and I think it's very clear Gerald Watson to go. So assuming he goes over to Everton or somewhere else, he's been an excellent servant for Villa. He's, I never really see him moaning too much in the press or anything like that. Yeah. He's been quite a positive lad, scored at Wembley, uh, scored a couple of crackers against the Albion, which is always nice. So I think. He can be proud of what he's achieved a bit of, but in truth, if we want to take that next step forward, he's a player that we've got to improve on. So if we can make some money on it now, I think it's just a sensible time for, for the, the transfer to happen. I agree. It's been a it's been a real success of a signing considering where when we got him and where we are now and the things he's done. Yeah. And if he ever comes back to Villa Park and he does leave Villa and he comes back to Villa Park in future, uh, he'll always get a warm welcome, I think, from from the fans, certainly from from us, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, a sort of a final question on uh, on Gerard. What would what do you think would be a successful tenure uh, for Gerard at Aston Villa? I think it'd be based on two things. I think he's really keen to lift the trophy. And I, I, well, personally, I hope he is. I think he understands the value of that. And I hope he takes the League Cup seriously next season. I hope he takes the FA Cup um, seriously again next season. I think we said at the top of the call, I was really impressed with the team he put out last night. Mm-hmm. So that will be deemed success. We, we, you know, we'd be sort of, you could argue, we'd become a mid-table team. We'd only had one season in there. So, he wants to improve Villa, so we have to be genuinely contending for that Euro- Europa League position mm-hmm. through our position in the league, which kind of changes each season. So you, you need to be finishing between seventh and ninth for a couple of seasons in a row for him to have taken us to the next level. That is the realistic next level that we can achieve to. You might get a lucky season when somebody out of the top six just falls down and you might be able to creep in there, but realistically... Mm-hmm. We've got to be looking to get seventh. I think seventh again. Probably maybe this season is one season too soon for that. But next season, for me, a successful first season under Gerard is genuinely uh, going for seventh in the league or higher, and a very good cup run, getting to the semi-final of either the League Cup or FA Cup, and then you know hopefully even winning it. But he needs to really just have a, a good cup run as well. Absolutely, breaking that cup duck. It's been a, 1996 was our last big trophy, yeah. so it, I think we we need to end that soon. And we've been in a fair few finals since then as well. Yeah, exactly that. And he's similar to what he did at Rangers. He realised what the key thing was, and he just went for it. Some of yeah. the other things he, he let drop to one side. So he will he will have a focus on it. And, and my I gut, my gut feel is he's going to go all out to win a cup because uh, yeah. that gets you European yeah. football anyway so it wouldn't surprise me if that becomes his priority next season so yeah it, hopefully hopefully so because that's always an exciting trip to Wembley for the final if he can make it happen 
Yeah, and it's always worth remembering as well that it, you know, it took him, I think it was his full season really to get uh, Rangers up to speed and exactly where he needed them. So patience is probably the key. Yeah, absolutely. That was the spicy question and we're both pretty satisfied with how things have started under Steven Gerrard. Hopefully he can get us into Europe in the near future. If you agree with that or you have other ambitions for what Gerrard can do at Aston Villa, you can get in touch with us through Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or you can email us at allvillanofilla at gmail.com. So, Paul, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're both members of the London Lions. Um, I'm a relatively new member. Uh, I gather you've been part of it a lot longer than I have. Um, can you just give us a bit of background on who the London Lions are, for those who don't know, and uh, how people can sort of join in and get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think I've been a member for about 10 years now since uh, I've moved down to London. It's essentially a fan, fan club they're run down in London, split into north, south, east and west. And it's got various different things that it can bring. So firstly, there's ways to connect to other Villa fans, relatively local to you across London. Um, and it means that when there's games on the TV, we try and have meetups for those and we all try and congregate um, to watch them together. There's a lot of the, the members of the fan club actually travel back to a lot of the home games. So my, me and myself, there's about nine of us that all sit together uh, in the whole ten. and we get the train back up together. So it's just a really nice community. It's quite a long day if you're on your own, travelling up from London to a game. This Saturday, half five kickoff, it'll be a long old day, get back quite late. But when you're with your mates and you've been doing it and we welcome anybody to join us and we usually post on, on Facebook is tending the most... Um, social media format that we post on and let people know what trains that we're getting or via WhatsApp groups that we've got. So people can just come and join us and just have a chat and similar to this, just chat Villa on the train and go up there. So it's um it's growing every season. It sort of always staggers me how many Villa fans uh, are down in London and there's yeah. plenty of ways to join. I say we've got various different Facebook groups you can join by that. If you're just interested in getting tickets to away games, sometimes that's uh, available through there. But obviously, they're, they're high demand at the moment. Meetups uh, at pubs for games that are on TV, which aren't really sociable times to, to, to travel to the games from London. That's not being a key example. There was a couple of meetups in, in two various pubs across London for Villa fans. And then the other area we've got, which I know you're uh, involved in, Frankie, is the, the football team. Yep. So... I think about five years ago, we um, actually, the chairman of the football team started a league with other fans in London. So it's uh, fans of Inter Milan, Roma, Panathinaikos, PSG, various different European and English teams who are not from London, but have a fan base here in London. So for this Sunday, for example, we're playing PSG fans. Uh, and it's just a nine-a-side league. We take it seriously, but it's pretty friendly. Uh, environment. We're welcoming all guys that want to, to play with that to come and join us. We play uh, pretty much three Sundays a month and then we play every Monday in Shoreditch um, in a seven-a-side league as well. Uh, and They can contact you via the, the podcast if anybody is out there that fancies a game of football who's based in London. Believe me, we have all abilities that you could imagine <laughs> in the squad. So if you're not uh, certain that you'll be able to fit in. I guarantee you, you will be able to fit in. We'll make sure 
yeah. that there's a place for you. And so if you want to play football in London and you're a Villa fan, reach out to the podcast and you'll put in contact with myself and yeah, we'll get you a game very soon. Yeah, I honestly can't recommend uh, the London Lions enough. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, been part of it. I've, I've, I'm new to it. I only joined sort of in August of last year and getting involved with the football and, uh, you know, playing as well as, you know, it's helped with my fitness and all that kind of stuff. And um, But then, you know, people that just are commonly, you know, involved in uh, as Villa supporters, um, it's just uh, it's just nice to be able to relate to people on that level as well and uh, honestly really nice group of people uh, so I strongly recommend it uh, you can find London Lions on as Paul says on uh, on uh, Facebook and Twitter and uh, also if you want to get involved just contact us on the uh, podcast Thank you everybody for listening I've been your host Frankie Maguire thank you very much for joining us Paul No problem at all thank you for having me And it's goodbye from me. I'll be back later this week with George to chat the United game. What kind of things will we see? A late 90th minute equaliser for United? Hopefully not. But until then, we can win that game. Come on, Super Aston Villa.